huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem mm. with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hello, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. It's producer Harry here. So we've got Paula Radcliffe on the show today, and Paula is known for being one of Britain's greatest marathon runners. Also, she was a top athlete in her day, I believe representing uh, Great Britain at four different Olympics, winning many different gold medals and having um, an almost 20 year long career at the very top of the marathon running game. So I found this interview really fascinating between Paula and Rob. Uh, Paula is someone who's really got her head switched on and she's had this since day one. She's been very self-aware that, you know, an athlete's career is only very limited. So she talks about how she was always planning for her retirement in her 20s and some of the investments that she made uh, that would carry on throughout the rest of her life. So she gets into great detail about that, you know, talking about being a Nike ambassador and other things. What I found really fascinating as well is kind of how she's reinvented her career um, and the different avenues, you know, life has taken her. And she talks a little bit about that, but also about managing big disruption and managing big public losses and how she's overcome that. Obviously, um, when you represent, you know, your country at the highest level in sport, there's always going to be a lot of uh, criticism and eyes on you, whether you, you know, win or lose. And, you know, Paula's had some big wins, but some also big losses. So she talks about how she overcame, you know, a lot of the press criticism in her career and how she stayed grounded and just managed to move with it and overcome it. So final thing for me, we also have a YouTube channel. If you go to Rob Moore on YouTube and subscribe, you can watch the video interview to this particular episode and all the other ones we do. So let's just get straight into it. The interview with MBE Paula Radcliffe. And remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Hi, it's Rob Moore here and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur live stream and podcast. And I think you're going to recognize uh, this very special guest we have today. Now, I'm going to have to do a slightly different interview because we have 30 minutes, then Paula does have to go. And as you know, my interviews are normally long. So, Paula, I want to say thank you very much for taking the time. I know you've just been out on a run. I'm going to get straight into it. Um, so you retired in 2015, and I'm always fascinated in how people reinvent their careers, especially when they do something so single-mindedly focused like you. 
So did you have a clear plan, plan to re reinvent your career? Um, and how's it gone since? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if I would actually call it reinventing it. Um, I think for athletes, it's more of a progression, almost change of career. Um, and no, I had no plan at all. Um, I remember making plans back when I was at university and I remember my coach, my parents, um, being very certain and very supportive of the fact that um, you're always one injury away from the end of your career in a sports career. So laying down the foundations for another career and having that degree, those qualifications there is always a good thing. Um, so I, I absolutely remember using that. To be honest, did I really use my degree? The economics part, I can probably remember nothing of it. Um, but my languages I use every day. Um, and I did use those throughout my life in, in my running career uh, and I use them a lot now. So I did have that. And I think I was also fortunate, A, that I had a very long career, but B, that the injury that I had in 2012 really probably ended my career then. Um, but I wanted to finish on my terms. So I had that three-year kind of progression into 2015 when I actually said, finally, okay, I've retired from athletics but I was already doing other things between 2012 and then. So I'd already started on the kind of commentating career, sports broadcasting career a little bit there, learning that. Um, and I think that lessened the pressure because I had the two kind of going side by side, which was, was juggling the two plus the family in amongst that. And I think that helped me to to kind of transition, if you like, smoothly. Um I'm also fortunate in that running is not something that you have to give up abruptly. If you do a lot of other sports, even a lot of other types of athletics, when you retire, you retire, that's it. You don't have that crux to fall back on of uh, being able to get out for a run every day. Um, and for me, I think that's vital. It's now no longer the focus of my day in terms of getting the absolute best out of that run. Instead, it's helping me to get the best out of me for the rest of the day so it's just my meditation time my thinking time my clear my head time my put everything else in perspective time um and i think the fact that i can have those two means that it does work well together so my second career if you like is kind of a, a mishmash of things um of doing the the commentating the sports broadcasting still being an ike ambassador um helping out helping give back to athletics helping to encourage kids to get more physically active, um, whole clean air initiative. It's just um, ambassador for different marathons and motivational speaking. So it's kind of like bringing lots of different things together, which I enjoy because it never gets boring. Great. Um, I found a quote online. I'm always a bit wary of quotes online because I know that they're not always as accurate as they can seem. But I, I checked this with you before. Uh, but it says really that you run your career like a business. And as an entrepreneur, and I have many entrepreneurs that follow me, people that follow me and watch the shows and the podcast generally want a better life and want to be more successful, which is why we love to interview very, very successful people like yourself. And they want to run it. They want to be an entrepreneur. You know, they want like, I mean, I don't know whether you call yourself an entrepreneur, um, Paula, but those, I think I counted five different little businesses or big businesses that you've got there. So I'd certainly see you as entrepreneurial. But I'm fascinated by this. I run my life, uh, my career like a business. So can you t talk us through that? I think that essentially was a quote that came from 
while I very much viewed my career as my hobby, um, because I was very lucky in that my career, I was able to make my career doing something that I would have been doing around whatever else I'd chosen to do in life anyway. Um, so the fact that I could make my living from doing something that I just loved doing, I felt like I was in a very lucky position. But I also recognized very early on that I was lucky enough to get sponsorship and support while I was still at university. But to recognize that that wasn't my money to spend how I pleased, that was my money to invest in the business of my career. Um, and so I think it was very much recognizing that that money should go towards supporting my coach, supporting um, altitude training, supporting um, being able to, to get to competitions and just being able to get more out of myself as an athlete rather than, okay, that's that's what I've made from the year. That's not what you've made from the year. That's when you take away all of the training costs, then that's what you've made from the year. Um, and so I think it was recognizing early on that that was the case and, and trying to put as much as possible back into to the business or, or my, my sports career. Did you think about investing in assets or investing, you know, for something for your future beyond your career? Absolutely. Um, again, I was really lucky. Um, my dad very early on pointed me in the right direction. I was set up early on when I was 19 with a company called Park Associates, who then looked after Gary Lineker, David Gower, a lot of different sports people, but gave me a lot of really good sports um, financial advice, investment advice. Um, I've been drawing a pension since I was 35, which makes me feel very old. Um, <laughs> but I, I was paying into it then because a sports career finishes early as well. I mean, thankfully, mine didn't finish at 35, um, but the pension was set to finish then. Hmm. Okay. Now, you've said twice you're very lucky, and that's that fascinates me. Um, do you think anyone can do what they love and turn it into a career like you have? Um, or is that maybe a bit of a fantasy and some people just have to find a way of making money that's good enough? No, I think you, I think that you can. And I actually think it helps. I think if you love what you're doing, then you invest far more effort, willpower and energy into getting a good result out of it. So I actually think it's probably conducive. If you're doing something that you love, it's conducive to being successful uh, what you're doing and I have a huge amount of admiration for people that do something that they actually say they don't like and are very successful at it um, because I don't think I could do that uh, mm. I think it, it, it's much much easier to to invest everything into something if you love doing it because you're getting rewards every single day so You've won so many accolades. If I listed them all, that would take the next 23 minutes. I've picked out a couple of big ones like BBC Sports Personality of the Year, IAAF, uh, World Athlete of the Year. Now, I've got a, an important question here, and I need to give you some context. Um, I've had a bit of an epiphany. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. Um, I have a therapist over the last year because I've become a bit addicted to work and I've got to be careful of that. And she said, Rob, be careful not to let all your entrepreneurial accolades define who you are. And I've pondered that a lot and I'm not quite there. And I thought I'm going to ask a selfish question here to Paula. This one is for me, even if my audience don't really care. Do your accolades define who you are? No, but I think it's a really good question. I think it's absolutely great advice. Um, I think, again, I go back to something that my my parents taught me, that my, my grandmother really showed me. 
Um, and I think what you are and what you do every day defines the person that you are. Um, and I think the accolades and the success are only a small part of the person that you are. The person that you are is is that person that gets up in the morning, what they do and how they treat people all the way through the day until they go to sleep. And so, yeah, I think when you go get up in the morning and think, right, I'm going to be the best person that I can be today, that's defining who you are. And when you go to sleep at night and you think, okay, I screwed up at that today, I made that mistake, but I've... Two of the most common questions I'm getting asked at the moment is where do I buy my watches and where do I buy my gold? People don't know this, but I've invested in gold for... 17 years. If you go back to 1971, the birth of fiat currency, the devaluation of money. Money's gone down by 85% in value since then. But you could buy one ounce of gold for about $30, which peaked to over $1,500. Gold is a great defensive asset class. Gold is a great hedge against the matrix and the system. It's a great hedge against inflation. And I've finally found someone who I am now partnering and has become a sponsor on the show. And that is Josh Saul of The Pure Gold Company. He has a special offer where you can get a complimentary investor guide and book an appointment to get your own private consultation at pure-gold.co forward slash Rob hyphen more. I buy my gold from this company. So if you'd like to just buy the gold or get the investor guide, go right now to pure-gold.co forward slash Rob hyphen more. Big shout out to the Pure Gold Company for collaborating and sponsoring this episode. Apologize for it. Um, and I'm actually really happy that I got that, that and that accomplished through the day. And I'm generally happy with what I did today. Then that's the person that you are. Um, <clears throat> and I think it's a great question because I think a lot of people asked me it when I lost the world record um, and said, was that going to change the person that I am. And I was actually sat next to Dave Bedford, who a former world record holder in the 10K. And I remember him saying to me during the race, he said, you know what, this race is going to finish. You're going to think things have changed a lot, but you're actually going to be exactly the same person that you are right now. And it's very, very true. And I think I've spent a lot of people looking at me as though maybe I was going to change colour or I was going to suddenly sprout another ear or something was going to change drastically <laughs> because I didn't have the world record anymore. And it actually doesn't. You kind of just feel a little bit almost almost an anticlimax because I think you maybe think that moment's going to be much bigger than it actually turned out to be. Um, but also a huge relief because you think, you know what, I'm the same person that I was before, mm. exactly the same person. And do you think you would say the same thing about um, not getting the Olympic medal? Because obviously that's the thing that a lot of people cite a lot. Um, how do you see, see that in your career? Um, again, I think that's something different. And um, that was something that was one of my earliest goals as an 11 year old starting out in sports. Um, and I never got that, but I achieved many more goals that I'd never even dreamed of aged 11. Um, and I think one thing that sport really has taught me is that you can only do your best on the day and you can only give it your best shot. Um, some things will work out, some things won't. And I think having that ability to, to recognize that and think, okay, I gave it my best shot. It wasn't good enough or I wasn't able to give it my best shot on those days, but I was able to give it my best shot on all those other days uh, and to kind of reap the rewards of, of being able to do that. I think being able to have that perspective has helped me. So yes, I would dearly love to have been able to, to get an Olympic medal, um, to get an Olympic gold, but 
I would never swap it for any of the other things that I've got in my life in and outside of sport. Um, so I think being able to just think, okay, I gave it my best shot. That's what sport is. You win some, you lose some, and you kind of have to roll with it a little bit. Um, and life's a bit like that too. We don't get everything that we want in life. Um, but if we don't try and get everything that we want, then we're not as successful as we could be. Um, so I think it is being able to have that perspective has really helped. Great. Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts, for any training that we might run. Not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anything. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. You've had a lot of comebacks, a lot of comebacks, which I really admire. Of course, you've had some really bad injuries. You took time out for your children as well. So I, I wonder if you have a process or you can just talk us through what's going on in your head on the mind to coming back. Do you thrive on that? Do you almost need that? Or is that a painful journey? And how do you get back to the top? I don't think it's a painful journey. I mean, I think um, it depends, I guess, what the comeback is from um if it's from an injury then for me it, it was it was hard to begin with and I kind of tried to take the the mindset that if I can't be running I'm going to spend all the time that I would be in the day doing everything that I can be to get back running so putting that energy into physical therapy into the rehab process into just plain icing um, getting enough sleep and being able to get back running as soon as possible. Uh, and then for me, once I was able to get back running, that was therapy in itself and that was enjoyable. Um, and it's like coming back from a disappointment, like, for example, in Athens in the Olympic Games. My therapy was actually getting back running. So part and parcel of that therapy was getting back into decent shape. And then when you're in decent shape, it's almost like just trying to get back on the bike uh, and get back racing. Um, and then I think coming back from the kids was slightly different because that was a, a planned break, an enjoyable break, but never really a full break from running at the same time. And when I was able to, to get back into to full training, I think I was a happier, better, more rounded person, which helped me, again, get more back from my training. Plus, then you've got more reasons to, to run well and to perform well in competition. 
Um, so I think that was a very nice comeback <laughs> and a very enjoyable comeback. Um, and I think that the the ones where I really, really had to fight um, was the one back from my huge big foot injury. Um, because there were a lot of periods in that when I couldn't, I couldn't train. Um, I couldn't even walk really uh, without pain. And so to try and keep focused on a target where I would be able to run without pain, um, there were days where it was hard to imagine that. And so I think that's when I really needed that big support network around me. Uh, and we always, always need that support network of, of family and friends uh, around us to, to just, I think, be able to keep us working towards what we're trying to work towards. Mm. Is there a particular, I mean, obviously support network is great that you can lean on. Is there a particular mindset you need to have to overcome big challenges? You know, what what um, stops you from giving up um, or why do others give up when you didn't? Um, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer. Um, I think for me, I've always really benefited from naturally being an optimist rather than a pessimist. I always see the glass as half full rather than half empty. And I always try and find the the good or the positive thing in in any situation. Um, I think also being able to talk about it really helps. Um, so if things are getting to you, being able to have people that you can go to and talk about, being able to just go on a run for me and think it through in my head helps me to put things in perspective. And I think generally something that, again, my family taught me, my dad and my grandparents, um, if every day you try and be the best person that you can be that day and get as much as you can done that day, don't beat yourself up about what you can't do. So focus on what you can do, not what you can't do, um, because you'll never get anywhere by focusing on what you can't do. Um, you can only chip away at it and do those little bits that you can do each day. Okay. So I spoke to Sir Jackie Stewart, who I really loved this about him. He was so proud of his association with Rolex and he talked so highly of his partners, his sponsors, you know, the brand ambassadorial roles he had. And I've also spoken to people who see that as a sort of necessary evil of being successful or, you know, as part of their maybe celebrity career. Um, how do you, where do you sit in endorsement sponsorships, brand partnerships, etc? Absolutely, as as what you said on that last um, that last phrase there, brand partnerships, um, and I think that's what it is. Um, I've been really lucky. I've had a lot of support and a lot of sponsors through my career, and continue to do so now. And I've always tried to make sure that we can work, we can gel together, they can bring something to me and I can bring something to them in return. Um, and to recognize that it's not a one-way street, it's not just you taking from your sponsor, it's absolutely what you can give back um, to your sponsor too and how you can grow together and how you can help uh, and balance each other. Um, I've had some offers of sponsorship, which have been for, from great sponsors, but when I've actually looked at it, I've thought, I don't know if there's that much in common. And if I can genuinely give back to that sponsor um, and with all of the sponsors that I've worked with, it always has to be something that I actually genuinely believe in um, and, and no work. So I will try out everything first and make sure 
but I'm not being a hypocrite standing up there endorsing something that I actually don't believe in. I believe in everything that I endorse uh, and every partnership that I work with because I think absolutely it has to be a two-way street and a balanced partnership there. Hmm. So many people are fascinated with successful people's daily routines. And I don't normally ask that question. I let everyone else ask that question. But um, what, what, what might be fascinating is you said that when you were running, everything obviously worked around running. And now I guess you've got other interests in your life. So how was your daily routine or your day changed? Um, I think it's changed, it's changed a lot. I mean, it used to be get up in the morning already knowing the, the plan of my run for the day and to, to work on from there. Um, but now it's, it's kind of knowing my plan for the day ahead trying to before I go to, to bed the night before um, and then working in when I can fit my run into that day because the run, if you like, is my time and I think it helps me to be a better person through the rest of that day. Um, so that's how much it's changed plus also the amount of time that I spend running in the day. I probably usually on average get about an hour now more if I'm lucky, um, but I try and allow myself that hour. And if it's a really busy day and I can only squeeze in half an hour, then that's that's what I get then. Or if it's a rest day, then I try and plan things then. Whereas before I would be spending sort of two, three hours, even four hours a day kind of actually running. And then a lot of other supportive things for the running around that in the day. Okay. So we're in a world now where there's a lot of online criticism, maybe even trolling and, and hating. And of course, you've been in the media. How have you dealt with criticism? How have you dealt with things that have been maybe said about you or printed publicly that you felt are unfair or wrong? How have you managed to park that and deal with that in your life? Um, I'm not sure that you ever fully deal with it. I think you do have to just park it. I think it's there, there comes a point um, where you kind of have to accept. And for me, it was it was after Athens, um, end of 2004, where you just actually have to accept, you know what, I'm not going to be able to please everybody. There's always going to be people that for some reason will find fault with what I do that won't like me. Um, and I just have to accept that. And I think what you do have to make sure is that you like yourself and you're happy with what you're doing each day um, and again I, I think that's the the biggest and the best advice that I could get is, is be happy with the person that you are and the way that you're living your life um, and then really genuinely try not to to waste energy stressing over the people that don't like you because there will always be those people and actually probably it's nothing to do with you it's probably something in their life um, so being able to to park that is something that a skill that you have to learn I think to stop dragging you, you down all the time to stop that energy being a negative energy that just pulls you down um, but it's hard because it does hurt every time somebody says something that's not true um, and it, every time something somebody says something about you that you know isn't right in any way you want to run out and set the record straight to every single person out there that's read that but you can't do that so I think you yeah. just have to be able to, to dwell on the fact that the people that matter and you know it's not true um, and have that kind of inner inner confidence, inner strength that that's what it is. Um, 
but you know it's not right and just to let it go uh, but it is hard and it I do feel for a lot of particularly young people that I see coming in for unfair criticism and unfair flack I find that I really feel for them because because I know what they've gone through and just being able to get to that point where you can just accept it and block it out makes it a much easier place to be. Mm. You said uh, you referenced something that happened in 2004. Was there some some specific event or did you have some kind of epiphany or something? Um, Not really. I think it was just probably genuinely the first time in my life where I had come in for a lot of harsh criticism that was unjust. A lot of things were written in the media that weren't true. Um, and I think I, I, I was also at the same time dealing with the fact that I had gone through a huge disappointment for, for me and a huge trauma for me. And I was trying to to get over that at the same time as reading all of this. And I was just out on a run one day and, and couldn't run anymore because it was getting to me the fact that um, all of these untruths were, were being written about and one particular article before I'd gone out for the run um, and I couldn't run anymore. So I sat down by the side of the trail sobbing and then just thought, well, this is stupid because this is actually stopping me doing what I want to do. Um, I can't run because I'm so upset. So at that point, I think I realised before that I'd said people will write things. It doesn't really bother me but it did. Um, and I think that was a point where I thought, right, I'm not going to let it bother me anymore. I'm just going to let it go now, get on with my run. And kind of at, from this point, I'm not going to let the things that I can't control and that I can do nothing about upset me anymore. Mm. Amen. <laughs> so that takes <laughs> us nicely. We'll do the quick fire round now. We've got six minutes left and that'll give you um, 20 seconds. <laughs> um, change oh, that's all right. <laughs> so um just because i think this is a great question for you maybe not others but for you is um highest and lowest moment in your life um highest moments i think my kids um and also the career moments of kind of my my world records um and um winning the world championships as well they've been huge moments for me it was a massive thing to win the world cross country in 2001 because um, I won it as a junior in 1992. So then to be able to get to the point um, when I'd set that goal of winning the senior championships, it took me nine years to do that. And there were a lot of second, thirds, fourths, fifths, 18th and lower. Um, so to finally win it was a huge moment for me. Cross country was really where I'd started out. Um, mm. And then the lowest um, moments, I think, um, probably the, the Olympic moments. So um, in Athens to begin with, because that was the one where I was probably the biggest favourite um, and to get that injury three weeks or so before and then not to be able to even finish the race, that was really, really hard. Um, and then Beijing slightly different, but London, because that was pretty much almost the, the end of my career as well. Um, so that was a, a, a tough moment. Um, and then I think losing my dad as well recently, that was a, a tough time to, to come through. Mm. Uh, what's the best advice you ever received and the worst advice you ever received that you can remember? Um, the best advice would be, oh, God, 
had lots of good advice. I've been very lucky. Um, mm -hmm. So advice from my coach, Alex, early on, aim for the moon because even if you miss, you'll still land amongst the stars. Um, that was really, really great advice to just go after your dreams and give it your best shot uh, and see what happened. Um, advice from my, my grandma and my dad um, that every once in a while, step out of your life and look back in and be sure that you're proud of the person that you are and the way that you're living your life. Um, so again, be the best person that you can be each day. Um, and my dad as well, focus on what you can do and what not what you can't. Um, worst advice. I think I've actually been quite lucky. <laughs> Whether I've just had that advice and just thought, no, I'm not listening to that. Um, but I actually can't think of really much that I've listened to that has been bad advice. There have been mm. people that have told me things and I've thought, you know what, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I'm, I'm probably in quite a good position. I can't really think of something that was really bad advice. Well, that's a good answer then. <laughs> um, right. So on a lot of podcasts and interviews, people have this question of what advice would you give your younger self? And I want to reverse that just to be a bit, bit different. What advice would you give your older self, your 60, 70 year old self, if you were looking back on how you'd spent the next 20, 30 years, what advice would you give retrospectively? Um, I think it would be to take some time for yourself. Um, so I think we probably from the way that I've been shaped as an athlete um, and probably from trying to juggle everything with, with family now, tend to try and certainly I tend to try and run around getting everything done for everyone else and then take my time and um, so I'm very selfish about taking my time to run during the day and then anything else during that day is kind of a bonus if I get time to do it um so yeah I think it would be to to do to do that because I one thing I guess I learned from my dad was you never know so make sure you get the most out of every day and take that time for you to do the things that you want to do and fit them in before it's too late. Great. Love it. Sorry if you could hear my yappy dog in the background. He goes, That's mad. all right. When the postman rings the bell, he goes mad. Um, he thinks he's a lot bigger than he actually is. Uh, <laughs> all right. We've got three quick questions and we've got two minutes to do them in. Is there anything, one thing that you think's a bit wrong with the world that you'd like to change? Oh, God. My. There's a lot wrong with the world right now that I would like to change. <laughs> um, where do we start on that? I think I think a really broad answer to that, if we could just make everybody try and do something each day to make the world a better place, rather than focus on trying to do something that's selfish for them, um, then I think the world would be a better place. If everybody just thought a little bit more about everybody else and about the environment and the world in general instead of about themselves then i think that would already be a good start to trying to make the world a better place lovely is there one person that you would stop whatever you're doing to listen to on an interview just like one person you're fascinated by you'd love to hear their story or see them on an interview oh God. again i think there i think there's lots already um, Anyone you've seen already that you're like, wow? Um, I think Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. I think when they say something, I think, oh, okay, I want to listen to that. I think the Queen. 
I think the Queen is actually a very, very tough lady who's been through so much. So I think absolutely learning from her experience. So I think it's people like that, people that have been through a lot, that I think actually I want to listen to, to what they've got to say and to try and learn something from them. Great. So this podcast has the word disruptive in the title, disruptive entrepreneur. What does that word disruptive mean to you? Um, disruptive, I think, just means breaking up the the calm. Um, so anything that's just kind of going along on an even plateau, then if you disrupt it, then you're just going to shake it up big time um, and change it around. And I think disruptive can be positive, can be negative. It can be um, make things worse and it can make things better. And sometimes it's good to to shake things up. Mm. Love it. So do you have a, a book you'd like us to go and look for that you've written or any social media, um, you know, handles or platforms that you have where we can follow you? Um, I guess not really. I mean, I'm on social media. Um, I think now um, Paula J. Radcliffe yeah. on Twitter. I think I'm Paula underscore Radcliffe. I can't even remember what I am on, on Instagram, but um, it links between the two anyway. Um yeah, I think at the minute, one of the big things that I've been working on is the the Families on Track event, which has been, again, use the word disruptive, been very disrupted at the moment with what's going on, um, but is basically trying to encourage families to get out there, spend some quality time together, get active and get healthy together, and hopefully have some fun in the process as well. Paula, this has been great. Uh, thank you very much for doing the interview and hope you have a great day. Okay, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day, too.